Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a one trillion dollar tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk/greattalent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Hello, and welcome to an episode of Telling Everybody Everything that is making me so happy because we're on a time crunch. It's Saturday. I've had a very busy week, and I think what delays me doing the podcast more than anything else is that I'm trying to compete with the Gen Zs, the influencers, the social media gurus. And now I put makeup on, and I turn a light on, and I film the podcast, and then I send the SD cards away to my friend Rebecca, who's very talented, and she edits clips to go online, and all of that is a real pain in my ass, if I'm honest with you. And I miss the good old days of the podcast when I would just find a little corner of my house, sneak away from the family I prayed for, and then record it just on the fly. And this is what I'm doing today because we had no other options. I have exactly an hour and a half to get this done. So here we are. And if I sound extra sultry, I mean, yes, I have three children. Kids get eight colds a year. I have 24 colds a year. I don't feel my best, but my skin is feeling great. This is not an ad, but my good friend Shane Cooper sent me his collagen firming cream, and he has all these different wonderful products. He also has a spa salon, a medispa skincare clinic where you can go and have treatments. You will see on his social media, Maya Jamma's in there all the time. I mean, of course you invite Maya Jamma to your skin clinic because she's going to walk out of anywhere glowing. You could cover Maya Jamma in shit. And be like, holy God, that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. So she's an excellent ambassador for the brand. Um, Irrespective of her natural beauty, he is a wizard, a genius. And I would love to visit Shane Cooper's clinic, but I can't because it's in beautiful South Kensington. And I live in very dreary North London. And I'm just not making my way there for my own self-care. My self-care is not worth it to me. But having these little creams at home, oh. Oh, if you're looking to treat someone in your life, again, not an ad, not an ad, but I just, I really do feel, what What makes it firming? Hang on a second. There's citric acid in this. Maybe it's that. Beeswax, triglyceride. I don't, none of these ingredients, there are different acids, glycolic acid. Oh, there's glycolic acid in it. Well, that's interesting to know. Xanthan gum. But I do worry that at my age, creams and lasers and high frequency ultrasounds are just not going to cut it and I'm going to end up having a facelift in the next 10 years. I've seen some lovely facelifts and I know some lovely doctors. I used to sort of not believe in British surgeons. I felt like they were a little bit behind in the times because Americans have been doing it so long. I think they're very good at surgery in Thailand. But then I saw one who does really, really good facelifts. And he's the only one who's like accredited in America. And he does this neck lift as well. And I know a few people actually who've had little nips and tucks from him. And I think, Catherine, that's where you're going. Five years from now, 10 years maximum. That's where you'll see me. And if you're thinking about getting the lasers and all the different frequency things, I think at certain ages they might be appropriate, but then your face just falls off a cliff quite literally And the only option is either to embrace it and be like, wow, I'm 60. I'm lucky to be alive. 
I'm joyful. And that is the most beautiful thing on a human being is inner joy radiating a lack of resentment. And if you would like to live into your 70s and 80s as a woman with a lack of resentment, then just ask for what you want. Tell people to fuck off or be single. Lean into the gratitude of just being alive and being healthy or get a facelift. Those are your options. I never like to talk about actual peers, colleagues, celebrities by name because certain things get picked up from the podcast and put in the tabloids and it'll just be a little piece of the podcast. So none of the positives will be in there. It will just be the negatives. They'll spin it in an odd way. I mean, I spoke to a wonderful lady the other day from a tabloid, a girl's gotta eat. And we were promoting parental guidance, which is our new family show that comes out on W Network and UKTV on Monday, February 5th. It will be out every week, but also I think all the episodes become available to stream on February 5th if you want to watch it on the UKTV player. I'm very happy with the show. I think it's funny. I hope that you love it. But promoting it, this woman was asking me about Violet and predators and am I worried and how do I feel about having a teenager and do I get concerned when she goes on public transport? And I think she was looking for something that would make her editors happy with regards to like, yes, my, she wanted me to say like, it is a dangerous world out there for Violet. But instead I just said, no, I don't worry about her. She's a lot smarter than I was. She values herself more than I did. She's a great girl. And they still ran the story anyway, (laughs) but it was like the heartbreaking reason why Catherine isn't worried about Violet. And it's because, you know, the real world is dangerous. Love Island is safe because they have producers and Violet values herself more than Catherine did. How sad. And that's fine. You do you, boo-boo. But I have to be careful how I speak. I always try to articulate myself with due diligence. But look, a lot of people have already guessed who I was talking about because I put this on my Instagram. I went to, let's say, a dinner and I saw a man celebrity with a stunning woman who looked like a younger version of his wife. And I live in this world. I am poisoned by the culture of wealthy or famous men dating women who are younger than they are, sort of trading in their wives for a newer model. We've seen it time and time again. So it's not as though I went home, put my head on my pillow and invented this phenomenon. I don't know this man well. I like him. I've worked with him a few times. I see him with a very young woman. And I didn't even know he was divorced. I'm not really in the news cycle. I have small children. But I got hot in the face and I looked to my husband, Bobby, and I said, look at her. How old do you think she is? And Bobby was like, what? Who? What are you talking about? And I said, that woman, how old do you think that woman is? Because I was thinking to myself, 22. She had these beautiful eyes of wonderment. She was very tall, like very stunning. But I, I didn't think she could possibly be over 25. Now, spoiler alert, she turned out to be younger than I guessed. And he's just openly like parading around with a smile on his face with this woman. Like he must be older than I am. How embarrassing. And I said to Bobby, that is embarrassing. Like she's a lovely girl, but for a grown man who had like such a fierce, feisty, clever, stunning, talented wife to be split from his wife and like just openly walking around with a woman like half her age, but who looks just like her, like 
just embarrassing. Like that's what women my age think when they see that. And Bobby was like, no, I don't think it's that embarrassing. I was like, excuse you. He goes, well, it's fine, Catherine. Now, he'd had a drink. Sometimes he just likes to disagree with me. And also, I think he likes to try to talk me off my ledge. Like I think he was worried that I might resort to like karate, which I was not going to do. Like I don't know this man well enough. And it distracted me the whole night. I was like, wow. If this is what we're doing now, it's just splitting from our wives and strolling around with this, a young woman who looks, and it was the fact that she looked like his wife. I waited till we got in the car. I Googled his name, and the woman was his daughter. It was his daughter. And the look on Bobby's face, he's like, well, well, well. That guy's not an asshole. The asshole is you. How dare you think that he would be with a woman that young. He's just trying to have a wholesome night out with his daughter. What do you think people are going to say when I take Violet out in a few years for dinner or maybe she comes along with us to a party? Like, can't a dad just be a dad without judgment from an absolute battle axe like you? <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. It's like the sixth sense. Like, Maybe all this time, it's not being the celebrity men who think they should be dating younger versions of their wives. It is I who thinks that celebrity men are with younger versions of their wives. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all this time, every situation where I had seen an older rich man with a beautiful teenager, that it had been so innocent. I got a lot of messages on my social media from young women who had also been mistaken for their dad's girlfriends. Don't feel bad, Catherine. Someone thought I was my dad's girlfriend when I was 13, and we look super similar, so you're not alone. I was mistaken for my dad's young wife when on holiday when I was younger, a lot younger. I was 15. I was in Cuba in 2006 with my mom and dad. I was in my early 30s, my dad early 50s. I was born a week after his 20th birthday. A woman asked if my dad was my partner when we were in a museum and my mom wasn't standing right with us. I was horrified, mortified. When my dad was in hospital with cancer, he's okay now, I visited him every evening after work. And one evening, as I got out of the lift, the nurse said to not go in as his wife was in there. The message was clear. She thought I was his mistress. I firmly told her I was one of his three daughters. <laughs> it made me sort of think that thing happens a lot. All right, well, I've been overwhelmed by guilt. I made a mistake. Luckily, no one was harmed. I didn't say anything to anyone. I didn't kick off. I was never going to do that. But I was very relieved to find that it was his daughter. And of course, I want my daughter, because this is what shit me up as well. Violet's almost 15. In five years, you know, that could be Violet out with Bobby or at an event with us. And being in those circles, you know, someone just might assume. I mean, I, I don't know. And it's not as though I picked it out of the blue sky that men might date young women like this. They do it all the time. And I feel like I keep hearing about good men. Oh, they're good men. They're great men. They're fantastic dads. Well, maybe these great men need to take it upon themselves to do some of my crusading and admonish other men from dating girls their own daughter's age. Like tap a man on the shoulder if you know he has a very young girlfriend and be like, Excuse me, sir, I would like to have dinner with my adult daughter in peace without people thinking that we're in a romantic relationship. So perhaps maybe you could help me out by not fucking a 19-year-old 
And the more men who do that, and then the fewer men who actually date 19-year-olds, just my unconscious bias will stop telling me that these are romantic relationships. And the next time I see a successful, handsome man of like my own age or older with a 19-year-old, I will be safe in my assumption that it is his daughter. And the more often that that's actually true, then the more often people like, you know, won't make these mistakes at the hospital when you're just trying to say goodbye to your ill father. (laughs) Excuse me, whore, his wife's in the room right now. You know, it's like, I would love for that to come to an end. So dads, good dads, I feel like this is on you. It's a good time for dads and teenage daughters because for once, their interests are intertwined. Taylor Swift is going to the Super Bowl, or at least she could go to the Super Bowl. The long-rumored romance between she and American football player Travis Kels, I'm told this is pronounced Kels, not Kelsey, as many people have verbally adopted, was confirmed when she descended onto the field wearing a bracelet spelling out T and T to kiss him congratulations after the Chiefs cemented their place in the American version of the Premier League Cup. Fans have already done the math. Taylor has the Tokyo leg of her heiress tour the night before, so she'll need to take a 13-hour flight across several time zones to make it to the Super Bowl for kickoff. It's in Vegas this year. I don't know about this pronunciation of Kels. We had, when Fred was born, an American football ABC book, and it was K for Kelsey. And even Bobby pronounces it Kelsey. Announcers pronounce it Kelsey. But sometimes there are mass mispronunciations of names. Lindsay Lowen, for example, when you see her in interviews, she'll say Lowen, Lowen, Lindsay Lowen. But it doesn't stop people from saying straight back to her face, Lohan. Welcome, Lindsay Lohan. And similarly, Ariana Grande. Apparently, Grande is not meant to be pronounced like it is at Starbucks. It's Grandi. Ariana Grandi. When I was starting my, I guess you could call it TV slash comedy career in Canada, I got to do a few little bits for a network called Much Music, which I don't even think exists anymore. We had it before MTV and it was sort of like MTV. It was the coolest thing. There was a dance show called Electric Circus where I would get on and dance on a podium. And then in I think 2004, they launched the VJ search. A VJ is like a DJ. It's a video jockey. And you would basically be a presenter on Much Music. It meant that because it was our country's biggest music TV station, again, we didn't have MTV yet, you would get to interview the biggest pop stars, rock stars, like NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, you name it. Like if they were doing a press tour and they came through Canada, they would go to Much Music Toronto. And I got to do something small called Much Music Takeover, where they let normal people be a VJ for the evening. And it was so much fun. And mine was funny. And mine was like, I don't know, just different to the rest. I got to play the guitar on it. I got to do all these sketches. It was so much fun. So I actually thought I was in with a chance of becoming a real VJ. I felt at the time that it's the thing I wanted to do most in the world. It really wasn't. I got to do a few little comedy bits on there. I much prefer being a comedian. But I mean, I do like being a presenter. I do like it. But because I wanted the job, I became really critical of other people who got the job. Uh, There was a girl who was doing it who rubbed me the wrong way. And there was a boy who I really felt like I just didn't get it. He kept making mistakes all the time. And I just didn't find him engaging. But again, was that just a little 20-year-old me wanting his job? We'll never know. But he sat one day during the height of bring it on 
fame. Was it Bring It On? Or maybe she'd done another movie. But Kirsten Dunst, an incredible actress who's been in loads of films, was promoting something on there. And I loved her because I loved Drop Dead Gorgeous. I loved Bring It On. I loved her in so many films. She was a real teen idol of the moment and talented actress. And it was busy. When they would interview someone, it was really like top of the pops when, where there would be a live stage and loads of crowds would gather in Toronto, either outside or inside to watch these interviews live. It was such a vibe. And he was interviewing her and people were screaming and listening and yelling her name. And he was like, so Kristen, blah, 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 blah. And she let it go. And he said, yes, and Kristen, blah, blah. And she actually stopped him in a live interview. She said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but my name is Kirsten. And he was like, and she goes, I don't know if it's because of the noise or, or just I've been on a press tour so long. I don't know. I I hope I'm not being rude, but my name (laughs) is Kirsten. And I was like screaming at the television. I hadn't gone down to the end. I could have. It was like 15 minutes walk away from my house. But uh, I remember being like, I would never have called you Kristen. And good for her for correcting him. I want to be corrected. Like if Travis Kelsey's name is Travis Kels. Like, how does he say it? Kelsey has a nice... Time out, though. That doesn't explain why we thought it was Kelsey. Because your mother thought it was Kelsey. Why did she think it was Kelsey? (laughs) Because that was the name that I went by at work. Should we go by Kels or Kelsey? Do whatever you want. I did. (laughs) I'm gonna go by both. How about that? I'm going by Kelsey. Don't call me Kels. Fine. So Travis and his brother Jason Kelsey have a podcast where they had their dad on and he was explaining that his name was Mr. Kels, but then at work, Kelsey became a nickname. It was just better to say. He met his wife. She thought his last name was Kelsey. I suppose in the olden days, you know, he didn't discuss many things. He never corrected her because he's a good husband. And then her name became Mrs. Kelsey. And then they told their sons their surname was Kelsey and they don't want to be called Kels. So fine. You know what I don't like about the NFL is the little fashion walk. And you would think I would love it because I do love fashion. They've got these professional cameras that capture them exiting either their private jet or their bus on the way to a game. They've all got headphones in. And it's become something of a viral sensation to see these really smart outfits that all the players arrive to the game in. You only see them in their outfit for the game, whatever that's called, their uniform, (laughs) game gear. I'm not a sportsman. And you get to see their personality when they come into the stadium wearing these really cool tailored suits and having amazing bags. You do need to watch Quarterback on Netflix and you will love the Mahomes family. You will love them because it's it's got a real element of the Tyson Fury reality show, Beckham reality show. It looks like it's a football show, but it isn't. It's a reality show about these families. And that is what got me invested in the football season this year and certainly in the Chiefs. Anyway, Patrick Mahomes looks the best. He looks great. But for me, even though he's not in the Super Bowl, I think he just retired. It's not Travis Kelsey's fashion, but it's his brother, Jason Kelsey's fashion that really gets me. He shows up looking like a piece of shit. He is in filthy tracksuits. He's got a real Adam Sandler vibe and he doesn't care at all. And you'll see everyone else dripping in like Gucci and Fendi and YSL and they've all got Louis Vuitton luggage and they're all just completely crisp looking walking in and he's just like he's going out to put the bins out or like collecting the mail he's like I'm not here for fashion show I'm here to play football 
Speaking of Taylor Swift, some pornographic deep fakes of her circulating on Twitter's zombie gravesite quite literally broke the internet this week to the point that all searches of her name were blocked. Meanwhile, her male 1970s comedian equivalent in terms of impact, George Carlin, had his likeness, voice, and writing style broadcast for the first AI-generated posthumous comedy special on YouTube. Oh, shit. Both are being seen as test cases for the bounds of AI. So I wanted to know if this could happen to me. I ran Catherine Ryan doing a comedy set about potty training through ChatGPT, and this is what it produced. Stage lights up. Catherine Ryan enters with her characteristic confidence and sass. Like, how does AI already know that about me? And here's here's my set. You know, folks, they say parenting. Well, I'm going to try to deliver it properly because it really is all in the delivery. You know, folks, I would never say folks. They say parenting is all about those precious moments. Well, let me tell you about a particularly glamorous moment in my life, potty training. Oh, yes, it's the glamorous side of parenting, right up there with catching vomit in your hands. Oh, chat GPT. Do you know, I could be announcing a new tour sooner than I thought. All right, back to back to my set. I recently decided to embark on this magical journey with my little one. It's like trying to negotiate with a tiny, adorable dictator. They rule the roost, and apparently the porcelain throne as well. So I got the potty, thinking, this will be a breeze. How hard can it be? It's just peeing and pooing, right? Oh, how naive I was. First off, getting them to sit on the potty is like negotiating a peace treaty between warring nations. There's bribery involved, promises of chocolate, and sometimes just sheer force of will. And then there's the issue of timing. You have to be like a psychic, predicting when they're about to unleash Niagara Falls in their diaper. <laughs> a Canadian reference. I know Niagara Falls is American too, but it's like three hours from Toronto. I mean, chat GPT is pulling in the local references. So here's to all the parents out there, knee deep in pee and poo, navigating the wild waters of potty training. We may be in the trenches now, but one day we'll look back and laugh, or at least... We'll try to. Thank you and good night. Exit Catherine Ryan amid laughter and applause. Applause. I'm no. That might get a smattering of like, yes, it's true. See, I feel like AI is replacing a lot of jobs, but I do not lose sleep over AI replacing comedy because it just can't be done. Like there are a lot of comedians, like real life comedians out now, not naming any names, who are AI. Like they have listened and understood the mathematics of comedy. And they're like, oh, okay, I can adopt a little bit of his persona and a little bit of her persona and a little bit of this dead comedian that I used to like persona. And then I can write jokes. I can I can sort of construct a narrative with a beginning, a middle, and an end. I know the beats of comedy, so I'll be a comedian. And those comedians don't understand why they're not famous. And it's like, well, there's more than that. There's heart and authenticity and luck and truthfulness that like you just don't have like you're doing an impression of someone else and you've learned the beats of comedy that doesn't make you funny chat gpt nice try you know how many people have tried a Catherine ryan set like this it just doesn't work you need me up there on the precipice of a breakdown 
Oh, if you haven't seen this, it's been a fucking mess. Hot girl summer is officially over. It's given way to a nuclear winter. What's worse than the nuclear option? Because Nicki Minaj deployed it in a lengthy, multi-pronged clapback to end all clapbacks in response to Megan Thee Stallion's latest single, Hiss. Megan's track sprayed bullets every which way at many targets in the 21st century's hip-hop community, but Nicki took especially unkindly to the oblique reference to her. These hoes don't be mad at Megan. These hoes mad at Megan's law. This was interpreted by many, chiefly among them Nikki, as a reference to Nikki's convicted sex offender husband, Kenneth Petty. And Megan's law is a federal policy in the U.S. that mandates law enforcement make information on sexual predators public. It's actually very dark. It was enacted after this beautiful young girl, Megan, lost her life. Nikki's ears were clearly burning. I mean, she didn't lose her life. She was murdered by a man. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know how to say it. It's gruesome, but like lost her life. Like she misplaced it. No, it was awful. And so people pushed for Megan's Law, which it's now known as today. So Nikki's ears were clearly burning. She hopped on Instagram to give a running narration, followed by a sonic response called Bigfoot, in which she came and came and came for Megan again. Checking her deceased mother and Nikki's fans, the Barb's also Gag City, have sent out dispatches to defile Megan's mother's grave. And these lyrics truly are below the belt. I can't read them all, obviously, but how you F your mother man when she die, how you go on Gail King and can't cry, child by, swearing on your dead mother when you lie. Then there's the Megan's Law stuff, uh, also insinuating that Meg the Stallion will trade sex for lyrics. Kylie kicked you out and made you stumble to the car. Barb's I need a good alcohol bar. Like a bodybuilder, I keep raising the bar. Fuck you get shot with no scar. Brrr. It talks about her deceased mother several times. I know that rappers get pitted against each other and that industry especially seems to, because of, you know, roast battling is in a lot of rap. And these diss tracks are really popular. It seems to get fans excited. And who knows if it's real or not. I mean, this feels pretty real. But I feel like women especially, even in pop music, were pitted against each other for so long. There was always this Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears feud. Now, neither of those teenage women had these types of things to say about each other. (laughs) But I just think it does get people talking, whether it's real or not. I feel like talking about someone's dead mother is very much below the belt, though. And if you have to write diss tracks to get people interested in your music, I mean, maybe your music's not that relevant anymore. And Nicki Minaj seems to have a problem with everyone. She threw a shoe at Cardi B or vice versa. I mean, it, look, knowing Cardi B it was probably Cardi B that threw the shoe. But I think, you know, feet to the fire, if I have to make an assessment on this, I feel like Nicki Minaj doesn't seem like a very nice person. She just is in too many fights with too many people. Megan Thee Stallion didn't even name Nicki in his. Nicki just took a lot of the things to be about her. But Nikki's fully like, Meg, Megan, Megan Thee Stallion. Like, she's just completely going for it. And it's not a coincidence that when you have a fight with someone, tracks are released. You know, like, I have disagreements maybe with people in my life. I'm not, like, producing something to sell every time that happens. Anyway, let's take a short break now. Speaking of things to sell, I suppose I do have a little something to tell you about, and that is uh, these elegant words from our sponsors. When we return, I will see what letters you have written me this week, what dilemmas, what opinions, what trials and tribulations you've been going through. I'll be right back. 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. An overwhelming majority of you were happy that I told the dog owner to pick up her dog's poo. Some people believed she knew it was there. Other people agree with me that, you know, maybe she was just an innocent crossing the road. Nevertheless, these letters came from dedicated dog owners, not just Karens. You know, if you don't litter, you also don't leave dog shit in the road. If you see something, say something. Potty training, both methods. Catherine was right. Catherine, I've been listening to your podcast since being pregnant with my first in 2020, and it was around that time that I first heard you mentioning early potty training and the success you had with your first daughter. At that time, I thought maybe you were lucky and a bit crazy. As both health visitors and some quick internet research suggested the best and quickest way to potty train is to wait until the child is at least two. This makes me so annoyed every day. So I did wait, and God only knows what a hideous and mentally draining last 18 months I have had. My now three-and-a-half-year-old is fully potty trained, and he no longer has any issues with using the toilet, but for over a year, we would have daily fights with him to get him to pee, as otherwise he would hold it for hours. Oh no, sometimes as long as seven hours. And for poos, he would hold it for days. And during that time, we would run around almost every 20 minutes shouting he needs a poo, but at the same time, he would refuse to go on the potty. And he kept holding it in, or he would use cuddles to stop the poo oh my god he hardly had any accidents but i was losing my mind as nothing was making him use a potty without argument not even bribery in the end we started a reward jar and that seemed to help maybe he finally just gave up fighting so now with my seven month old after listening to your recent podcast on potty training i've decided to give elimination communication a go Oh my God, I can't believe how easy it's been. First time I put it on the potty, he pooped within the first two minutes. And then I started putting him on the potty first thing in the morning. He pees every time. And now it's been three weeks. In the last two weeks, 80% of baby's poos go straight in the potty or toilet trainer seat. In the last week or so, he urinates every time I put him on the potty throughout the day. So far, it's been amazing. I wish I did elimination communication method with my three-and-a-half-year-old, as I'm pretty sure the impact on our bond. For example, I don't know if my three-and-a-half-year-old cuddles me because he wants to stop a poo or just wants a cuddle, which we are now trying to repair. I'm now confident in saying the mainstream advice is crappy, no pun intended, and I wish health visitors talked about elimination communication too, so parents can make informed decisions on what's right for them. Thank you for talking about early potty training in your podcast. I'm actually emotional about this because none of what happened with your three and a half year old is your fault, and I think that you have articulated it so brilliantly that you shouldn't, you know, force anyone to do anything but the information has to be available. It's bullshit that health visitors go around, and I hear this from so many listeners, health visitors go around with the information that they have received, telling people, no, 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 don't do it too early. It's damaging. Just wait until they show signs of readiness. If you're going to say that, I'm not saying remove that advice, whatever. I guess that 
dumb advice comes from somewhere, but also give people the option and say, some people choose to start incorporating the potty right away. I think that the pushback comes from feeling pressured or feeling guilt or having to go back to work too early and saying like, oh, well, you know, I can't do that because I don't have the luxury, Catherine, of being home. Sure. But if more of us spoke about elimination communication really openly, and this was always offered as an option, maybe even nurseries would be like, because I think this more and more, I said it last week, but even I was going up the tube escalator the other day and reading messages from people who are angry. You know, they're like, I have to put my son in daycare. Okay. But it takes a certain amount of time to change nappies in a nursery. You have to take one child at a time, keep your hand on them at the change table at all times, change them, throw the nappy away, put a new one on, make sure they're clean, wash your hands. The poo's like everywhere because they've shat themselves like sat on the floor. I feel like if nurseries had uh, a system of like 10 potties in the toilet room or like get parents to pay for it. a potty's like five pounds, make it part of the thing that they need for nursery. And we took everyone every hour and a half or so, you know, they sleep at the same time, they eat at the same time as nursery, take them all to the toilet and be like, we're all going to sit here and read a book. It is so fucking not only doable, but economical, both in financial terms and in time. Your children want to use the potty from the time they're really small. And if you can't facilitate that for them full time, fine. But nothing is stopping you from getting them out of their cot in the morning and saying, good morning, taking their nappy off and putting them on the toilet and reading them a book and making that part of your routine from five and six months old. My children poo before 7 a.m. Conceivably, they could go to nursery And yeah, it would be frustrating. I'd be annoyed if they were peeing their pants at nursery and the nursery teacher didn't have enough time. But it takes all of us. You know, the nursery teacher doesn't have time because she's changing other nappies. Sure. But if they all just started using the potty, keep them in a nappy if you want, but still take the nappy off and let's try to go to the potty even three times in the day would be something. This idea of not even bothering to train them until they're like openly asking you. I actually saw it in a tabloid the other day. This parenting expert was commenting on different parenting techniques that celebrities were being vocal about. And she commented on mine. I think her name was Hannah. And she was very nice and very fair about everyone. But she was like, well, Catherine's children aren't really potty trained. Catherine's potty trained. Catherine's noticing the signs on their face and taking them to the potty. Not anymore, baby cakes. Fenna picked the potty up and brought it to me today, and she's 13 months old and fully potty trained. She asks to go to the potty with sign language now. They make a face at six months, and yes, I am potty trained when they're six months, but by one year old, we don't even think about nappies, except when they go to sleep, I do pop one on for emergencies. And in the winter, if we're going on a long drive, I put one on in the car in case someone falls asleep. I'm going to go on a different podcast next week. Bespoke Family, they are a company that I used to get a babysitter at one point when I was filming my Amazon show and they're experts in all these parenting areas. We're going to talk more about potty training. Like I haven't fucking talked about it enough. But keep sending me your letters though. I do appreciate them. Catherine, funny reminiscing turned bad. 13 years ago, I had a year-long fling with a guy. He was 26, I was 28. It got messy, feelings developed, and it ended. We never really saw each other again, but we never went as far as to delete one another from socials. I'm now married to one of his mates. Oh, God. 
Last week, I commented on his Insta story, and it was attached to our very old text chats between the two of us from over a decade ago. We both ended up airing some of our grievances from the very messy breakup 13 years ago, and it felt good. We both agreed that it had made us feel better, but... In trying to keep it light and airy and not return to the oh my god you were a dick bitch conversations of years ago, I made a few references to our hookups back in the day and I stupidly sent a list of about eight venues and occasions when we'd got it on. Uh, Not in an ooh sexy let's go back there kind of way, but in a oh god do you remember when we shagged on that sink kind of way? We had a laugh about the hilarity of our youth. He joked about all the shagging around he'd done after me to find himself, and that was it. End of conversation. I didn't delete the chat, because as bad as it might sound, I'm not embarrassed about my sexual past, and there was no let's take this further agenda on either side. I'm 40 now with two kids and in a very happy marriage. It was a bit of banter. I thought he might delete it to be on the safe side, but he clearly did not. His wife went through his phone and read the whole thing. She has called me a fucking C-word many times since Sunday. She has slut-shamed me to our close friends and sent screenshots of the conversation between me and her husband to the other wives in the group. She made me out to be a sex-crazed whore who's after her husband. She also sent the screenshots to my husband, telling him I was chasing hers. I felt sick to my stomach for days now, and I'm constantly caught between, one, the horrendous guilt I feel for ruining everything with that stupid list of places I'd shagged someone, and two, the rage of being shamed for talking to my long-ago ex about our breakup and past exploits. I'm in a really bad place about this whole thing. Mentally, I'm a wreck. My husband, although raging initially, has read the entire text conversation and is now only mildly cross because he can see the context. He knows it was not an attempt at a sexy or romantic reconciliation. He's more angry that I've ruined the friendship group that we spent years building. I'm an idiot, a complete idiot. Catherine, I really value your opinion on this shit show I've created for myself. How do I move past it? Oh my God. Well, I'm glad your question is how do I move past it and not like who's right and who's wrong? Because I don't know why you would bring up sex with this ex. Even if you're like reminiscing, like I don't really know where your head was at doing that. You have a husband, you know, he has a wife. It is an appropriate chat between exes. It doesn't matter how long ago. It really doesn't matter how long ago. But your husband, I think, has forgiven you because. To you, like he knows you, he knows your true personality. Maybe it is okay in sort of the way that your sense of humor works to discuss that self. But as you have come to find, it is not okay with his wife. And I have to tell you, I'd be fucking pissed as well if I looked through Bobby's messages, which I don't. But if I did and some fling, it doesn't matter how meaningful the ex was. Someone in our friendship group that he had previously had sex with was like, remember when we shagged in the toilets of this place? Remember when we had sex? In the t-? I'd be like, I'd be angry. You'd be in trouble. You'd be receiving a glitter bomb. So I think that all you can do now is accept the sentence of time. You'll get your friendship group back. It'll be okay. I don't know if this wife is ever going to like you again. You could try to have a chat with her. It's difficult because it's so fresh and she's just called you the C word. But only good behavior in time will ingratiate you back into this group. Uh, 
I'd offered to take her out to lunch, take her out for a drink and just let her know, like, listen, it's not about your husband. I just, I thought it was funny how I used to be. And and I mentioned it. I, I don't even know why. Like maybe I would schedule a few therapy sessions with yourself just to like get you through this initial time of grief because it's so, so fresh and you've just been burned. You've just been caught like saying something you knew you shouldn't say, even though you weren't trying to have the effect that now this wife thinks you were. You're just going to have to prove that. And time heals all wounds, like even this one. They're not going to permanently excommunicate you from the group, but just be prepared for people, you know, to kind of know your business and to be chatting behind your back for a little while. And I think it's wonderful that you're in the kind of relationship where your husband knows that you were just being an idiot and you weren't trying to get back with this ex because it could have actually gone a lot worse from you, for you. So I think find the gratitude in the fact that you're not in a bed sit right now. Your husband hasn't stormed out. And don't talk to exes about your sex that you had with them ever again in the future. I guess it's a lesson learned. This is... Hi, Catherine. Your tricky dilemma from last week really resonated with me. The province of Alberta is about to pass a bill that would mean educators must inform parents if children under 16 wish to go by a different name or pronouns, etc. It's been very controversial. It would be controversial in Canada. I'm a parent and a teacher, so I definitely see both sides. But as you pointed out, some children don't have a safe, positive space at home. So how do we protect those kids? When I was in school in Sarnia, not your school, alas, despite the strict Catholic abstinence vibes, if any student had to duck out of school to attend any type of OBGYN appointment that we didn't want to share with our parents, we went to see the vice principal, Mrs. Gray. She's now dead. But it was this unwritten, best-kept secret that despite being a strict headmistress at a Catholic school, she'd discreetly sign us out of class safely and confidentially whenever needed. Even I went to her once at age 15 as scores of us were rushing to get on the pill because we heard it would make our boobs bigger. Oh my God, are you sure you didn't go to my school? Because this is exactly why I went on the pill. We weren't even remotely sexually active, but we would have been mortified to go to our mothers for this. Where's the line here? Well, how interesting that at 15, scores of us were rushing to get on the pill because we heard it would make our boobs bigger. We weren't even remotely sexually active but we would have been mortified to go to our mothers. So, I mean, look, the pill has been very liberating. And I think that if a young woman is sexually active, then she should have the option, obviously, of using birth control. But, I mean, it's kind of illegal for a 15-year-old to be having sex. That's a child. And what effectively happened here is Mrs. Gray signed you out so that you could go start taking medication and hormones without your mother's consent or knowledge and I guess what you were actually doing it could be called uh gender reaffirming medication do you know what I mean it it's all in the same conversation that's happening today like getting bigger boobs breast implants or going on birth control pill that's hormones and when all these people start talking about trans rights and like, oh, my child can't be put on hormones without my consent. And you can't, what about like cutting children's body parts off? It's like, well, you were put on hormones. You went and put yourself on hormones as a child without your parents' knowledge. Like, I think that's actually quite serious. I, I don't think I would be happy with my daughter's school principal if she knowingly signed her out to go put herself on hormones without talking to me first. 
Because I would say to her, first of all, I think the pill, again, it's been a really good thing for women to be liberated from the cycle of like constant unplanned pregnancy in old fashioned marriages and relationships and whatever else. It's a good thing, but it's a flawed thing. And I might say to Violet, there are other types of birth control that I think that you should maybe explore before taking hormones or like, why do you want to take these hormones? Are you actually sexually active or have you heard it will make your boobs bigger? In this family, we get implants age 20. No, I'm kidding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, uh, you know, like it's as a parent now, should we have been discreetly signed out to go get on the pill? I don't know. But it might have helped some girls who otherwise would have had their lives derailed and their education stopped with pregnancy in a family where they didn't discuss such things. And also there are families where people are being abused because they don't really know that they have ownership over their own bodies because they don't have access to these resources. So I mean, it is always going to be controversial because every family is different and every situation is different. And legislating that is quite tricky. So your question is, would you want Violet only months from now to have this autonomy or should all these things be communicated at home? Uh, I think Violet in a different family should have that autonomy, but in my family, she should not. And that's why there's no perfect legal answer to this. And we will always be fighting about it. And we always be distracted from the many wars that are brewing. We'll just talk about trans things and talk about abortion and fight about all of that instead. The types of things that can never be resolved. Very interesting one. What do you guys think? Like, actually, think about it. Please write me a letter anytime about anything. Telling everybody everything at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. And you're about to get to know my family even better than you already thought you did by listening to the trials and tribulations through this podcast. Our family series, Parental Guidance, comes out this week. It's on W Network. You can watch that on UK TV Play. You can download that and watch all the episodes right away. Or you can pop it on the telly and watch it weekly in the old-fashioned way. Let me know what you think of the show as well. You can reach out to me on socials, Kathbaum, or you can write me a letter telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Please look after yourselves. Go Taylor's Boyfriend. Boyfriend.